The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the 49th edition, I think, Wrestling Unwrapped. I'm your host, as always. Uh, and joining me, and Harry. Hey, Patrick, what's up? Hold on, I'm So you go ahead and talk. Alrighty. So, as I just mentioned, it is the week of Halloween, and last year about this time, we covered one of the biggest clusters <clears throat> in WCW history in Halloween Havoc 1998. So we thought... Three days after its 20th anniversary, we cover one that was a bit more lighthearted and for the most part was a little bit better. As we decide to go back one year to Halloween Havoc 1997 from the NGM Grand Garden Arena, of course, in Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. This is pre-T-Mobile Arena. Wait, that's the same building? No. No, I'm saying, though, MGM Grand Garden Arena is where the major events were held before T-Mobile Arena. Or the Thomas and Max Center. I was going to say, because isn't that where the Vegas Golden Knights play their games and stuff? It is indeed where the Vegas Golden Knights play. And where Dean Ambrose won the WWE Championship. Ah, that would have been Money in the Bank 2016? Sure. Sounds right. Let's go with it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds about right. I, 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 th- I think it. I think you're right. Don't know um, how we got. Don't know how we got from WCW Halloween Havoc to Dean Ambrose, but oh, it's a short road. It actually is a very short road. <laughs> so, uh, as always, before we even get started, though, this is of course a presentation of the W2M Network. You can find all the information, including our previous episodes, on the one and only W2Mnet.com, including also not just wrestling, but the newest W2M Top 25, which might actually be more reliable than the AP. Why is Notre Dame not in the top four, you scumbags? Anyway, Because Notre Dame uh, doesn't deserve to be in the top four yet, but that's a conversation for you a different You shut show. your mouth. You shut your mouth. Anyway. There are, there are four major conference college teams undefeated. You guys have a loss. Deal with it. I'm not having this argument again. We had this argument earlier. Not you and me, but we had this argument earlier. Anyway, for the latest top 25, be sure to check out W2Mnet.com. Dot com. Because <laughs> we don't rip off enough stuff on this show. <laughs> Fair point. Alrighty. So, as always, we've got nine matches to get through, including the main event. One for the ages. Ages 60 and up. Hey, 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 hey. Uh, Harry. Sorry, sorry, I was pretending I was a participant in that match. Fair point. How they were, how they managed to stay awake, I have no idea. But the main event is a steel cage match. It is Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Roddy Piper. Mind you, I said 1997, not 1987. 
Allow me to also point out the fact that this was originally intended to be our 50th episode, and we were going to go FHH on our 50th episode just for all of our fine fans. Well, we're going FHH in a different way here, because he's not getting the 50th episode. That's that's actually a fair point as well. All right, shall we get to the results? <laughs> yes, yes, we shall. As always, here's Harry with the results for Halloween Havoc. As Patrick mentioned, we are at the MGM Resort Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Slim Jim Diggit presents Halloween Havoc 1997, October 26th, 1997 to be specific. And these are your results per my match listings. Our opening contest, and I'm going to pronounce his name correctly here, but there is a talking point for this once we start the show. Yuji Nagata defeats the Ultimo Dragon via submission to Fujiwara Armbar at 9 minutes and 53 seconds. Chris Jericho almost dies and then still defeats Godot with Lion Tamer at 7 minutes and 19 seconds. Another talking point. <laughs> Rey Mysterio Jr. defeats Eddie Guerrero to win the WCW Cruiserweight title in a title versus mask match. At 13 minutes and 53 seconds, it is widely considered to be the best match in WCW history. Alex Wright defeats Steve Mongo McMichael with help from Goldberg and a blind as a bat Charles Robinson at 6 minutes and 34 seconds. That's one. That's one. I know. Jacqueline Boogie Oogie Oogies her way to a win over the Disco Inferno at 9 minutes and 42 seconds, which went about 9 minutes and 42 seconds too long with a roll-up. You're not getting getting that one out of me. Because you agree. Kurt Hennig defeats Ric Flair via Dirtiest Player in the Game Disqualification at 13.56. That is to retain the United States title, I want to say. Yes, because the television title was in the previous match and it was not defended. Yes, Disco Inferno was a singles champion in WCW of a belt that wasn't the Cruiserweight title because WCW. Because TNA, wait. No, no, this is the predecessor. Scott Hall and Lex Luger technically go to a no contest at 12 minutes and 57 seconds. No final bell ever officially rendered in that match, therefore no contest. Luger wins via disqualification. Shut up. I'm, I'm af, so- af, af, after Scott Hall wins via cheating, after... Let's just move on. folks. Anywho, Randy Savage defeats Diamond Dallas Page in a death match. But that's all, folks. Last man standing match. Texas death, technically. No. At And your main event... Randy Savage defeats Diamond Dallas Page. <laughs> Roddy Piper KOs Hulk Hogan and pretty much most of the most of the audience 
with a sleeper hold at 13 minutes and 31 seconds. Uh, that's bas- oh. That's basically going to be the extent of our description of that match because there is a whole lot of fucking nothing going on there, except for somebody multiplying. Apparently, the stinger got busy. WCW. They had yeah, all this I- excess Ted Turner money to burn at the time. Cloning machine has to be has to be so thank you so right. remember how i said that this one was better than 98 i kind of am considering taking that back now in places yes in places one thing to note here is the fact that there are some really high highs there are some really low lows but at least the main event made air this is the one time I almost wish it didn't. Well, you know something, brother? Sometimes you just got to eat your vitamins, say your say your pythons. I'll, I'll get this eventually. Why don't we start the show while I work on that? This is Halloween Havoc 1997. And kicking things off, it's Eugene Nagata, guided to the ring by Sonny Ono, taking on the Ultimo Dragon. And yes, I realize what I said, because Heenan. Which, by the way, no, because no, no, because because who? The, the ring announcer for WCW. He said each one is its own separate syllable. Nagata. That's how he introduced him. Yuji Nagata. He turned into a Jeff Dunham. I'm bringing that joke full circle tonight. All right, we move on to the actual the match itself. Yeah, by the way, we should also mention, since I mentioned Heenan, your commentary, Dusty Rhodes, still kind of gives a damn Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan, and for almost half, almost the entire first half of the damn show, first third Iron at least. Mike Tanay. Well, yeah, the the first all, all three of the first three matches, Iron Mike today, Mike today, joint them as well. That, that's what he said. <laughs> Shut up, Gina Gata. and it's weird hearing Eugene Nagata be treated as the uh, kind of young lion here, <laughs> considering, and he's the grizzled veteran. Um, to be fair, I thought this actually was a pretty good match, even though the crowd really didn't give a damn for it. Um, say what you will about the match itself, that crowd was there for the main event, so at least you have that. But well, I mean, there there were some definitely. And Ray had the crowd with them for more or less the entirety there. Jericho and Godot, Ghetto, whatever. I really don't care. Um. They had the crowd until Jericho almost murdered himself, but we'll talk about that in the next match. So, um, I didn't, I did not think this was a bad match by any stretch of the imagination. 
No, I thought this was perfectly fine. The uh, psychology was strong. The ring work was solid. But at the same time, the only thing that I disliked here is the fact that with the crowd as uninvested as it was, having this as your opener was probably a mistake because it took the crowd even more out of the show before the show could even properly get underway. I think that they may have been better off switching this and the Eddie and Ray match and actually opening with that Cruiserweight title contest. Probably would have been a fair thing. Um you know, you Nagata, Nagata ends up picking up the win, uh, somewhat devious means, and Sonny Ono actually hits a wrestling move by kicking him by kicking Ultimo Dragon in the arm, and he catches his arm pretty flush as well in that kick. So, yes, uh, if I Nagata if I, picks up the win, if I am not mistaken, he kicked his arm out of his arm. Shut up. Owen style. Speaking of Canada, our next contest. Hey. Lionheart Chris Jericho against, uh, let's see, I've heard Godot. It's Ghetto. Ghetto. I, I always called him Gato. Like, now I call him Gato as, you know, one of the owners of the greatest wrestling company in the world. Oh, we're getting heat for that. I feel like um, that com- I feel like that comment is strictly rumor and innuendo. Shut up. <laughs> so yeah, I bought myself with that one. But for about ninety percent of the match, this was going pretty damn good. You know, I I mean you have arguably maybe the underrated best in the world at this point, Chris Jericho, and this is 97 Chris Jericho, he'd only get better. And uh, <laughs> the problem is, oh man, this is going to be such a bad joke. The problem is, is that it felt like a lot of the time he was waiting for Godot to kind of get into position for some of the moves. And then they go for the Super Frankensteiner. Ow. All right, so let's put this into let's put this into description for everybody. And if you want to check it out, you can do so on the award-winning WWE Network. Though the price escapes me, I can never seem to remember. Ten sixty-eight. I but that's beside the point. Moving on. Oh, I'm taxed. I pay ten sixty-eight. Ten seventy-one. Anyway, uh, so Jericho goes for the Jericho spike, which is his both men standing on the top rope Frankensteiner variation. He goes to leap up and appears to slip, but at the same time, it doesn't look like Godot gives him much of a uh, much of a landing area either. And Jericho comes down square on the top of his goddamn head, while Godot just goes forward and doesn't flip and just does a belly flop. <laughs> he took a Styles clash from a Hurricane Rana. <laughs> yeah. Still funny. Because that's exactly how he landed. He landed like he was taking a Styles Clash off the top rope. Except he went head first instead of... Never mind. Um, Do you think that was supposed to be the finish? No. I think the finish was always supposed to be the Lion Tamer. Jericho was using the Jericho Spike at that time, but he wasn't using traditionally it would be a foot on the ropes for a near fall situation which is weird 
I apologize for the rattling of paper you just heard in the background. I have to chase the cat away. Not going to touch that one. So, so Chris Jericho does end up winning via the Lion Tamer, the actual Lion Tamer, not the Walls of Jericho. Yeah. Speaking of which, is it just me or did he put a little extra stink on that Lion Tamer too? Yeah, he was uh, he was not nice with that one. <laughs> he, he was he was not happy is what he was. He couldn't have been because yeah, he uh, it looks like he had his knee square on Godot's ghetto ghetto whatever the hell you want to call him. Uh, it looked like he had his knee flush on his neck. Ow. He could have worn his ass for a hat. No. Just no. Our next contest. Oh, wait. So so you're allowed to make other show references, but I drop us that 70 show reference in here, and I get no sold. You suck. At least the comedian I was referencing is actually funny. I will have you know that Red from that 70s show was hilarious. Quiet, jackass. Eh. All right, moving on. Um, This match. Lucha de apuestas. The, How the match dare you? The... What? It was? I know what it means. It means match with consequence. Or fight yeah. with consequence. Fight with consequence. Consequence, technically. Abidibib, as I mentioned earlier. It is Eddie Guerrero's Cruiserweight Championship against Rey Mysterio Jr.'s mask. Yeah, he had his There's junior at this point. Good for him. So, while it was all of WCW, he was he had Ray he had Ray and Junior for the entirety. He didn't always have Mysterio. Well, and then I think he went this... to the WWE gained Mysterio and lost Junior. Well, I think the spelling like got switched around I, I wanna say yes I told why why so. because WCW <laughs> no because WWE no it was R-E it was uh, M-Y-S-T in the WCW as well if I'm not mistaken nope for a while it was I I could have sworn the Chiron said R-Y or excuse me M-Y-S-T anyway uh, dat, um, mo- dat Moonsault DDT dough. Dat Match dough. <laughs> That's legit dough. One thing to gripe about dough. I uh, disagree, and I'll explain why. I know where you're going with this. I will tell you why you're wrong as soon as you're done explaining it. Well, he wasn't going to be able to strip him naked. No, but I'll explain when you're done. Go ahead. So, yeah, Harry does know my gripe. It's a it's it's a match of consequences. Like I said, it's Rey Mysterio's mask versus Eddie Guerrero's Cruiserweight Championship. Rey Mysterio's mask is a part of his suit. He wore a one-piece suit rather than wearing his mask, you know, separately. Gee, are you kind of telegraphing who's going to win? No, and here's why. A, Eddie tore the mask. B, on an earlier episode of Nitro leading into this pay-per-view, remember, Thunder's not a thing for another three months. On an earlier Thank episode God. of Nitro, another, on an earlier episode of Nitro leading into this pay-per-view, 
Eddie tore the mask clean off of Ray. So Tanae actually pointed out that Mysterio specifically had this outfit built so that Ray, Eddie could not just remove the mask. Pays, it pays to listen to your commentators, especially when they kind of know what they're doing at this particular time frame referring to Tanae. It's, and naturally I was, it's great that they had a reasoning for it and everything, but come on. Mm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you here. We're going to have to agree to disagree on this one because I completely yeah. understand the I completely understand the reasoning. I understand the reasoning, but to me, it's still telegraphing who's winning. Hey, by the way, who won? Who won? Um, no, you're not wrong about who won, but at the same time, though, did Eddie or did Eddie not tear the mask during the course of this match? Yes, but he could have. Hell, people have done that to Ray when Ray's mask was separate. Okay, but at the same time, should Ray have had to unmask, he could have just taken the rest of the mask and torn it off himself, which would have been an even bigger disgrace, having to tear the mask physically off himself. And strip naked while you're at it, apparently. I would imagine he had boxers on underneath. Ask Tony Schiavone, he may know. Or, well, I, I guess funny that you mentioned Tony, given who's next on the card. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> That's two for me. So, Ray, get, but real quick, real quick, Ray Mysterio does win. Quick question. Since quick you answer. mentioned, yes, yes, he's, his mask was ripped. When he goes and wins the match, is he bleeding? Um, I think it was face paint. I think he had like eye black on in order to cover his identity from the mask there. Okay. Because to me, it looked like he was I, bleeding. I saw what you were referring to and I kind of questioned it myself, but it looked black. So I think it was uh, like eye black like athletes wear in order to cover up, kind of conceal his identity a little bit, if that makes sense. Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. So, and and from here on, we say goodbye to Iron Mike Tanay. God, I wish he didn't leave. You know what? I actually did not dislike the commentary for this show. I mean, I wish they would have paid a little bit more attention to the matches. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Dot, dot, dot. I think it actually happens about here, too. It's exactly where it happens, but at the same time, it's because of the promo that happens before this match, where we go back to the NWO locker room, where Hulk Hogan, Hollywood Hogan, whatever you want to call him, that jabroni Hulkster brother. A-hole Hulk Hogan. Uh, A-Hogan? That works. Decides to let WCW know that unless there is a contract signed guaranteeing that Sting will not be on the premises this evening for Halloween Havoc. Remember, this is in the build to Starcade 97, the greatest cluster fudge sickle in WCW history. Hogan's not wrestling, brother. Creative control. Okay, he doesn't actually use the words creative control, but it's implied. Technically, Eric Bischoff could have actually said that since he was still the boss at this point. <laughs> Yeah, that finish doesn't work for me, brother. Um, so, real quick, just to sum up what Harry just said. Hulk Hogan will not wrestle unless a contract is written up that Sting will not appear. Remember those words. 
Dun dun dun. Because I believe the contract is shown later on. You'll see what we mean. I'm actually trying to remember where. I think it was after the U.S. Heavyweight Championship match. Anyway, before we get to that... I want to say it was J.J. Dillon's on-screen return to WCW after leaving the World Wrestling Federation. I'm not positive of that, however. I think it was attacked. Anyway, our next contest... Scheduled for one fall. Possibly a one fall. Is Steve Mongo McMichael versus Deborah McMichael, pretty much. I'm doing my best Charles Robinson impersonation. Is that Ric Flair yet? Well, okay, so I, the, the most important thing to talk about for this match has to be the finish, right? I mean, the match itself sucks, but, you know, Mongo, what do you expect? Well, r- real quick, also, it's Mongo versus Alex Wright. Actually, you know what? I don't hate Alex. I actually thought Alex was a pretty decent performer. I don't I don't ha- mind Alex Wright. <laughs> I do mind I Deborah mind- McMichael. I've never been big on Deborah. I that Deborah has some big things on her. Shut up, Shivani. Not denying it. There's a Steve Austin joke to make here that I'm just not going to. We're going to move on. Yep. So it's Steve McMichael versus Alex Wright, who represents Deborah McMichael. Real quick, if Alex Wright loses, isn't Deborah out of the WCW? Yes, and I think that was because they were doing something with, uh, I want to say Jarrett had just returned to the WWF at this point. And if I'm not mistaken, I think her and Jarrett may have been an item at this time, because I know she legitimately left. I know she legitimately left McMichael around the time that they were in WCW. Yeah, the whole thing is just... Much the same way that Kevin Sullivan booked his own divorce, he may have booked Mongo's as well. Ooh. 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 Yeah. Ooh. We're we're getting shooty up in here tonight, sir. Ooh. Tell me I'm wrong. Mongo loses after the newcomer to WCW. You may know the guy. I mean, he kind of did a couple things later. Eh, Some guy he was named all right. Bill, some, Bill something or other. I, eh. Iceberg. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was cold as ice at this point. Um, uh, he, and green as grass. Did he ever really get past that? <laughs> Damn it. Goldberg interferes while I believe Deborah has Lil Nature's uh, <clears throat> uh, 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 oh my god, I'm blanking on the word. He's undivided attention, and I mean that Thank in every attention. sense of the word. No, he, undivided <laughs> attention, because there are people getting beaten up literally six inches behind him, and Nature doesn't give a, a bleep. I'm pretty sure they ran into Little Nature. Almost. 
<laughs> Almost. Yeah, I was going to point that out. The spear that Goldberg hit on McMichael. McMichael, if he wouldn't have tucked his shoulders right when he did, probably would have Achilles clipped Charles Robinson and taken him out of refereeing Tim White style. <laughs> and then the, then, then the jackhammer that Goldberg hits, they were within inches of him again. Needless to say, ring positioning was not one of Goldberg's strengths at this point. Apparently. However, Goldberg's strength shows through as he damn near one hands Alex Wright and puts him on top of Mongo. He like, you know how Cesaro delivers his uh, gut red suplex? Yes, that's exactly That is exactly what he did to Alex right there. (laughs) He just goes, all right, up you go. And he just deadlifts his ass. (laughs) Do-do-do-do-do. Okay, Alex, time for the finish. And then, of course, Goldberg gets out of the ring on the side. Little Nate is. So Little Nate is looking at him. However, Alex Wright ends up picking up the win. Goldberg, or I should say, Goldberg is then paid off, you know, because apparently he's a hired gun at Super Bowl ring. (sighs) And then just for the hell of it, Goldberg attacks Alex Wright. So he still has no real allegiance here. He's I mean, just working for money. I mean, to be fair, sometimes you just want to punch Alex right in the face. It's that damn dancing that he did. Just everything about that made him eminently punchable. I can think of something else that he did that made him even more punchable than the dancing. Berlin. Ah, uh, yes, I remember that. Rest in peace, Jerry, to it. He was the wall. And malice in TNA, for the record. So we'll go ahead and bring that TNA joke full circle as well. Jesus. And it's a... uh, You know what? I'm not going to make that joke. Ooh, I came so close. uh, I've already done the Kevin Sullivan booking divorces jokes. You might as well. Uh, This one's really bad because it's modern. Dun, dun, dun. You can't tease us and not say it now. So the wall went to WCW and then to TNA as malice and did God awful. And, you know, Jared effectively books uh, Deborah McMichael's divorce. And then he himself loses his loses his uh, side piece to one Steve Austin. And it's a wonder why Jeff Jarrett drinks. The views and opinions of Patrick Ketza do not See? necessarily reflect those of the Wrestling to the Max Network. Yikes, that was dark. I told you! Ugh. And pause. pause. Sorry, sorry, dude. I really gotta piss. I'll be right back. So, moving on to our next contest. But before we do, I just want to. Before we do, I just want to state officially for the record: you are an absolutely terrible person, and I feel bad for encouraging you. Yeah, I I told you I didn't want to say it. Well, you shouldn't have. From now on, we're going to start trusting your instincts a little bit more. Next match. This match isn't going to help much. Oh. I, I have I have I have stuff to say. Trust me, let's do it. Can we uh can can, can we not reference any WWF wrestlers that we've already referenced earlier tonight? 
Don't worry, we're not getting domestic up in here. Let's continue. How Miss is that Jack for subtle? Yes. <laughs> Miss Jacqueline, Jackie Moore, you know, WWE Hall of Famer, takes on a man who the only way he's getting into the WWE is with one ticket and one senior for Mr. Shane Douglas in Disco Inferno. Chocolate. Never, never mind. Not making that reference. That's too far. Mind you, Disco is the television champion at this point. And treat it like an absolute freaking joke in this match. And people wondered why WCW undercard titles became so devalued down the road. Crap like this is why. Go ahead, continue. To be fair to Disco, he played his part. He didn't want to do it. Uh, him to do it. <laughs> I was just about to say, I don't think Disco was playing a part there. <laughs> I, I, I personally love shoot comets that aren't supposed to be shoot comets. This is ridiculous. I shouldn't be here. That's it. I'm done. It's, it's you, a shock he didn't just walk out of wrestling. You and everybody else watching, Glenn, I assure you, you and everybody else watching. And this goes almost 10 minutes, and I think about six wrestling moves were hit. Six might be generous. The vast majority of this match, I would say probably 70% of it is disco on the floor, either stalling or running away. This, this was the true disco demolition night. No matter what the Oakland A's will tell you. Chicago White Sox. Oh, Bill Vec, my bad. Steve Dahl, but thanks for playing. No, Bill Vec, the owner. Oh, yeah, he may have still owned the team at that point, but it was mostly through Steve Dahl, who is a jock here in Chicago. Anyway, you'll have to to forgive us for making the White Sox relevant for a second. Bang! Moving on. Thank you for you saying it and not me. (laughs) Well, we can't have the Cubs fans say it. We don't need him having any more heat than he already has in Chicago. Then again, at least I'd remember the White Sox exist. Hello, ESPN. Anyway, Jacqueline wins because... (laughs) You notice we're talking about everything but the match. I don't I don't normally encourage this because you know I am a connoisseur of all things professional wrestling. I don't normally encourage this. But if you are watching this on the Xbox 360 or you know if if uh, an Xbox 1 whatever and you happen to have this little button on your remote called the right trigger that allows you to fast forward make generous usage of that button. Does it top Bushwhackers versus uh, Beverly Brothers for you in terms of god-awfulness? <sighs> no. That's because those were four competent. No. That, that was because there were four competent people in that match that had a match of that caliber. This is a somewhat competent disco and a Jacqueline that frankly was never anything special in the ring in my opinion. 
except for one night in England. She was very <laughs> special there. I wonder if that's available uncensored on the network. I don't think so. I I feel like Kevin Dunn might have quick cut away from that, whereas Vince is yelling in the back, Chocolate! Never mind. Moving on. Vince is yelling, Zoman! <laughs> he, he's got the Joey Eastman going, Cameraman Zoom! Wow. <clears throat> yeah. That's right. We're doing a W. Wait, no. Let's let that sit in for a second there, Patrick. We're doing a WCW Halloween Havoc 1997 review, and I worked in a reference to Joey Eastman. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, let's move on, shall we, please? For the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. It is Kurt Hennig, the U.S. champion, representing the NWO, I mentioned that for a reason, taking on the nature boy, Ric Flair, who built it to the ring just to get a piece of Kurt Hennig. Well, in fairness, in fairness, Kurt dismembered his robe. Do you see what he did to that $3,000 robe? I'd be pissed off, too. You no, owe- he just ripped off $3,000 worth of it. That's a $15,000 robe. Okay, that might be Flair. Yeah, Flair has a tendency to exaggerate those numbers a little bit. Ten thousand is a legit number, though. Anywho, back to the uh, back to the match itself. No, I mean I I appreciate the the vim and the vim and vigor that Ric Flair comes out all full of piss and vinegar. I get it, especially after what happened at Fall Brawl the prior month when he got this, the cage door slammed in his head and killed Winston-Salem, North Carolina, according to Tony Schiavone. And Kevin Nash. Uh, um, Kevin found plenty of ways to do that on his own. Moving on. Yeah, like getting into the ring. But um, bum Anyway, uh, so, like, I get... <clears throat> excuse me. I get the decision for Flair to bum-rush the show, as it were, as we uh, we go right into the contest here with them brawling all around the ringside here. What I don't get, and I kind of side with uh, the WCW announcers here, is why are the WCW for beating down Hennig after the match here? Why wouldn't the WCW referees, excuse me, why wouldn't the WCW referees want Hennig, uh, Flair to do a number on Hennig and take him out? Because WCW? That's probably as good of an answer as we're going to get to that question. So, Which, I'll to accept. be fair, even the, comment, even the commentators brought that up. It's like, what the hell are you guys doing? Let him go. Yeah, let him beat his ass. Screw it. I can understand Flair being disqualified. Because yeah, the- it was a match for a championship. It was a WCW-sanctioned match. So I understand him being disqualified. But after that, let him go. Yeah, once Flair's gotten himself disqualified via kick to the face with the belt in the corner while, Fla- while excuse me, while Hennick is in the tree of Joey Lawrence. Whoa. That, that, the disqualification makes sense. Uh, anything above and beyond that, why would the WCW referees care? Especially after one of their own got popped right on the jaw by a clearly irate Flair. Yeah, it, the, the whole thing was weird. So, uh, Kurt Hennig ends up retaining the United States Championship here, and Flair 
Uh, who the hell knows it's Flair? Probably added five to his list later that night. Woo! They were oldest, oldest ride, longest line. That's why I said I believe 10,000. I don't know if I'd go that high, but it's it's probably north of five. I'm mostly I'm stalling because I don't want to talk about the next match. I don't even remember what the next match. Oh, Luger and uh, Scott Hall. Luger versus Scott Hall with guest referee, the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Can I just point out the irony of the fact that Larry Zabisco is the referee in a match with this much stalling? I'm just happy to get the return of his generic biddle music for Lex Luger. See, I can't say I paid enough attention to Luger's entrance. Truth be told, I'm... Oh, the guitar riff thing that he used to have? Yes. Okay, yeah, I know what you're referring to now. All right. Meh. Indifference. That's another reference to something else. Are we just ripping off podcasts left and right tonight? Is that what's yeah, going much. on here? I mean, not that that isn't our traditional MO anyways, but still, let's be a little more, more than usual. <laughs> okay, let's try to be a little more subtle about it. I know. Anyway. Subtle? What is this subtle you speak of? Anywho. Yeah, Luger versus Hall. You know what? Scott Hall was actually still a pretty decent performer at this point. I have long made it very well known on this show that I am not the biggest fan of Lex Luger. Never have been. Never will be. Luger is what Luger is. I thought the interactions between Hall and Sabisco were fine. I mean, I get where they were going with it. It was intended to set up first Zabisco and Bischoff at Starcade, which Bischoff wins because WCW. And then to set up uh, Scott Hall versus Larry Zabisco at Sold Out, which Scott Hall wins because WCW. Because everybody feel it should have been Dusty Rhodes, right? 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 We're, we're all clear on that? Okay, moving on. This match stinks. Are you saying it stinks? It stinks? It really stinks? No, Mr. Broadhurst. Not everything stinks. But everybody poops. You know what the thing is, is this isn't even the worst match on this show. It might not even be the second worst match on this show. Uh, I would almost put this in the upper, (laughs) damn close to like being the middle of the pack. As we mentioned earlier at the start of this broadcast, the highs are really high. The lows are, yeah. Yeah, let's let's not forget that this pay-per-view, because we actually did its counterpart earlier in the month. This is the same pay-per-view that ran against the first Hell in a Cell pay-per-view for the WWF. Which is available in our archives. There's another reference. At least it's to ours. Yes, but stole yes, but stolen from a different show's way of plugging it. Anywho, moving anyway. on. Anyway. Yes. Um so hang on. 
So Hall distracts Zabisco. Six kicks Luger. Luger then gets put into the outsider edge, and Hall wins effectively clean. However, Zabisco calls for the replay. Okay. And sees that six was the reason that it happened, and orders the match to be restarted. To which Luger almost immediately puts Hall into the torture rack. To which I guess Hall effectively taps out. I understand what you're saying with the fact that you never hear the bell, but that's because Larry Zabisco is attacked effectively before he can even ring for the bell. So Luger wins, I think. Sure, let's go with it because my head already hurts. Where where do you where? Uh, why is it only seemingly WCW that you could call for a replay? Yeah, like seriously, when did Larry Zabisco become the world's smartest referee to have the the, the the foresight to go to the videotron for the replay of the finish? Hey hey hey, Turnertron. Whatever. That was its name. Of course, it was. Because Titan Tron, so Turner Tron. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Hogan's later. <laughs> Brother. Anywho. Um, no, it's... I actually thought the match itself was okay. I mean, the finish was overbooked seven ways from Sunday, which is ironic because it was a Sunday. But, like, I get why, because they had other things that they were setting up with this match. At the same time, it doesn't make it any less confusing. Yep. And Speaking with that, of confusing... Yeah, I was about I, uh, to say, broad- and, and, yeah. and with that, we move on. My broadcast colleague is uh, <clears throat> a bit confused as to this match. It is a Las Vegas sudden death match. It is Randy yeah. taking on Diamond Dallas Page. I it saw your yeah. I saw your message on the Facebook chat. Yes, you are correct. I was wrong. Texas death is a pinfall followed by a 10 count. Last man standing is solely the 10 count. I admit it. I admit it. I was wrong. Enjoy that one while it lasts cuz you're probably not going to get another for a while. Sure. Next, you're going to call the main event good anyway. Um, I mean, this is effectively a continuation, and I believe the last match of Randy Savage versus Diamond Dallas Page. I may very well be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it was. I think, think Spring Stampede 1998. Think. Awesome. Um... And yeah, these two <laughs> these two beat the hell out of each other using <clears throat> weapons, even though I'm using air quotes for an audio podcast. That's my line, you jackass. Well, I beat you too at mentioning the foam tombstones <laughs> where they take yeah, out. Yeah, if you're I mean, if you're going to destroy the set, can you at least have the props in the set look somewhat painful so the guys aren't laying there selling styrofoam? 
Easy, Sea Biscuit. I'm okay. I'm just a little angry. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in an apartment. I'm good. I was about to shut off the phone because of who you were referencing. <laughs> I thought that might get your goat. Anywho, back to the show, please. Um, no, we got the goat last year when they won the World Series. And you the goat is back. dead. Back to the show, if you don't mind. God, we have so many sidetracks on this episode. Lord. I mean, granted, I'm responsible for a good number of them myself, so I got no room to talk. But still, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what it was he hit him with while they were inside of that area, though, that server tray or whatever, but it made a fantastic noise. <laughs> he got wobbly legged. He got wobbly legged. He, he, wob- he wobbly legged him, if you will. I, I can't do Dusty right now. He got wobbly, he got wobbly legged, if you will. If, if you will, the second most recognizable entertainer in the world of professional wrestling, if you will. That's a little bit better. Anyway. It's the second most recognizable athlete in the world today, second only to Muhammad Ali. Unless they're on the New Jersey Turnpike. Anywho, moving on. And brother loves uh, with them. <laughs> yeah, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, everybody. Make sure you give it a listen. That's our shout-out to the boys over there for tonight. All right. Um, right, that's the shout-out. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the match itself is pretty good, though. I mean, I don't have any complaints. Savage and Savage and Paige always beat the shit out of each other, but in fairness, they kind of they, they were both of the mindset of getting the matches all put together beforehand. Paige is notorious for this, and stories have since come out after Savage's retirement, and especially after his subsequent death, uh, I want to say 2012? Yes, I believe so. That Savage was much the same way as Paige was, and specifically referring to the WrestleMania three classic with Ricky Steamboat, that him and Steamboat, him and Steamboat practiced that match a handful of times before they went out and actually had it in the Silverdome. Superdome. Silverdome. Brother. By the way, 2011, sadly. Oh, so six years. Okay. May of 2011, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say May 20th? Yes. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, up until about the last two minutes, I thought things were actually very good. And then, remember the contract? The but contract not, that stated that, that, that yeah, but that, that wasn't the that wasn't the real sting. That was Jeff Farmer, sir. No, that was Hulk Hogan. Are we sure about that? They said it during the main event. Oh, maybe it was then. I always thought that was Jeff Farmer. I mean, in fairness. Once Tanae went away, I kind of tuned out commentary. Uh, in the ring, fake Sting was Jeff Farmer. If fake, if Sting was wrestling and it wasn't Sting, that was Jeff Farmer. But in this case, there were um, – what's a multiple for Sting? The Sting guy <clears throat> throughout the entire night. Uh, Sting's uh, would work. There's multiple Willow. There's Will I. 
no, we're not doing Sting Eye. That just sounds weird. It sounds like Stink Eye, and that's a completely different conversation for a completely different podcast. Possibly what happened when. Or MMA to the max. Wow. Again, the views and opinions of Patrick Ketza do not necessarily reflect those of Wrestling Unwrapped. Uh, not like for it. a Robert. message from somebody for that one. Robert doesn't listen to us anyway. What difference does it make? We're moving on. It doesn't have to be him. I'm waiting for yeah, I, the main event. I'm I'm waiting for your producer to start yelling at you here because I feel like it's going to happen. If he wasn't busy watching soccer, because of course he is. Anyway, I don't want to talk about the main event. Yeah, well, it's the only thing standing in the way of our big finish, so we might as well get to it. Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Well, let me tell you something, brother. The old age in the cage is going to happen tonight, you see, dude. And I'm going to eat my vitamins, and I'm going to say my prayers, and I'm going to get my butt handed to me, especially once all these fake sting eyes start showing up, brother. See, you said it. That was on purpose. I played into your reference. You're welcome. Or you just played into the reference of Hulk Hogan mispronouncing things. Well, I mean, Silverdome, Superdome, Silverdome, Mercedes-Benz, whatever. Call it what you will. Mercedes-Martinez, whatever. Back on NXT television this past week. Good for her. Indeed. So... We are really doing everything... We're really doing everything we can to avoid this match, aren't we? We said this was one for the ages. Ages 16 and above. I I like Piper. I do. I really like Piper. I've never so had an issue. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, the Steelers celebration interrupted me. I apologize for that. I've never had an issue with Piper. And by and large, if you give Hogan a passable opponent, I can tolerate him. But this is a pair of – what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, yeah, uh, well, sextagenarians would be 60s. They're not quite 60 yet. So what's the 51? Cincogenarians? It's well, a pair of – I think they were still in their 40s. So they're quadragenarians? That doesn't seem right because they wrestled like a pair of 70-year-olds. The match is not good. I mean, in fairness, their match at Starcade 96 wasn't particularly good either, so. Uh, From what I could tell, Piper was in the ballpark of 43. Hogan would be 44. Yeah, so, okay, so early to mid-40s, but at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, real real quick, mind you, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) not that far off. John Cena's 40. Well, that's because John actually takes the in-ring product seriously as opposed to, well, brother, 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 paycheck, brother, brother, paycheck, brother. Anyway. No, for some odd reason, these two have never really had much in the way of, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Much in the way of, well, no, uh, compatibility in singles matches. 
like the WrestleMania one main event is what it is, but that was a lot of that was carried by the personality of Piper and the the in ring abilities of Paul Orndorff. Their singles matches have never been anything to write home about, even the one from the the Saturday night's main event that we covered. Or not Saturday's night main event, uh the war to settle the score, excuse me. Even that match was the war to settle the score. We covered Saturday night's main event, but it was from the war to settle the score. I misspoke. Oh, okay. My point being that I don't dislike Piper as an in-ring performer. I, I, I mean, I understand his style is very methodical, but there's there's an audience that that appeals to. There's that old-school Southern wrestling audience that that appeals to, and this is WCW, so they're looking for that Southern wrestling audience. I mean, granted, in Las Vegas, probably not the wisest idea, but... And Hogan, like I said earlier, when he works with the proper people, is completely tolerable, in my opinion. But these two with each other in a singles match, it just does nothing for me. Not to mention the booking. Oh, the booking. Um, Here's my question real quick. Sure. Steel cage, steel cage match, right? Yes. Which pay-per-view, was, which pay-per-view was first? Bad Blood or Halloween Havoc? All right, that's fair. You think they did this as a counter to Hell in a Cell? I think they just stole the Hell in a Cell, took the damn roof off of it, and made it this match. That was a big-ass cage. By the way, this being October 26th, I believe Bad Blood would be first then. Actually, by about three weeks, I think. Yeah, we already covered Bad Blood on the three days past the 20th anniversary of it, as mentioned earlier, available in the archives. So, yeah, this cage is enormous. Also, steel cage, in quotation marks, because, boy, did that flex a lot. Uh, yeah, that was Chainlink, and anyone who tries to tell me otherwise is a liar. And I'm going with well, aluminum. Uh, uh, aluminum? This is America, aluminum. We are not aluminum. in England. We are not in England. It's aluminum. You had a different... Well, the, the first thing that you said earlier there, I had, a, I had a line for him. Then you mentioned aluminum, and I went into my aluminum reference. Repeat the first part of that that you said there. I'm going with aluminum. No, the first part of the before you talked about the the aluminum cage. You had two points there. The second one was the aluminum cage. The first one was what the one I'm trying to remember. That it was flexing a lot? No, well, that's that's a Hulk Hogan match for you, but that's beside the point. No, 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 no. We said flexing, not grandstanding and hot dogging. Eh, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Anyways, now I had a Piper joke in there somewhere, but unfortunately we skipped over it and I've lost it. So it'll be lost to the history books, much like your Jarrett joke should have been. You egged me on. I did, and I, I, I regret every part of it. So let's talk about the booking, shall we? Run, run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm Brother Jack, dude, man. Um, 
I actually think the word you're looking for is here is running, running, running as fast as you can. Pretty much. Well, sting. actually, no, because the run-ins, the, the Sting guy walked in as slow as they could. All of them. All 87 of them. 87 might be an exaggeration. We may or may not be misleading you, but there were a lot of freaking Stings. I believe it Patrick may not lost- be 87, but it may legitimately be 7 to 8. I think Patrick lost count around the 6 mark. It was definitely at least six, so it may be seven or eight. And that's not counting the fan in the sting, the fan air quotes in an audio podcast that ran in at the end of the show. Why was there also no referee? How are you supposed to win? Uh, well, Piper won by knockout, so clearly knockout. Then why not have a referee in the cage the whole time? I'm because pretty sure Hulk, stay out of the way. Because Hogan and Piper can barely move as it is. Do you really want to make a referee have it be even more obvious that they're not moving? Hey, they climbed the cage. Slowly. I with feel the biggest with the with the biggest area they possibly could due to the size of the fact that this was damn near the blue bar cage of the WWF, just bigger. But they climbed it. I feel bad knocking a Piper match like this now that he's no longer with us, but yeah, not good. Let me ask you a question. Do you find that sometimes your personal opinion of people skews your feelings towards the match? I think it could. I really do. Personally, like to me, yes, I think it can sometimes. But this was not a good match. I love Piper. To me, one of the best talkers of all time. In the ring, depends on the opponent. You know, his match with Brett at WrestleMania, I thought was quite good. This match was not versus Brett at WrestleMania. No, this match was more versus the Mountie at Royal Rumble 92. Again, available in the archives. Or versus Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. No, that Piper actually had a better opponent to work with, so he was better. I mean, he was also out of shape at that point against Jericho, but, you know, reasons. This is a case where the match really means nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. No, it's non-title in the main event of a pay-per-view, too. You have the WWF heavyweight champion... In a tag match at Bad Blood, and then you have the WCW heavyweight champion in a non-title match. If you were buying pay-per-views for title defenses this month, you were screwed. Not to mention you have one of your secondary titles on this one facing a lady. And losing, might I add. While running for most of the match. Why, Patrick? Because... WCW. And do we want to discuss these things any further, or have we pretty much touched on it? I mean, as Patrick mentioned, there's like five to eight stings, depending on where who you do and don't count, shown in the audience at any given time. No actual and who you listen to, and also who you listen to on commentary. Yeah, well, Shivani was known to make stuff up at points, so you know, whatever. 
he he recounted the two sting that appeared at the entranceway. So yeah, it ends with Savage and Hogan beating the ever loving hell out of Roddy Piper and a <clears throat> fan who somehow managed to get past Doug Dillinger, climb all the way up, over, and in. And then security starts taking them out. If this was a plant, why? If this wasn't a plant, okay, Hulkster, let security take over, please. Seriously, what the hell? And that more ended impo- the show. That more ended impo- the show. More, more importantly, why would you book a fan run in to climb the cage faster than your two main event participants just had? Because he sprinted up that cage. Don't ever change, WCW. Don't ever change. Leave the memories alone. Sorry. Shall we move on? Uh, There's only one place to go here. I know. Big finish time. Best and worst in a cash in the trash of this show. This should be fun. What's your worst batch of this show? As bad as as bad as Hogan and Piper was, and it was bad. Jacqueline and Disco Inferno's a downright embarrassment. It is a secondary singles title being defended or not defended, where the champion A loses to a woman, B runs for the vast majority of the match, C gets in like one offensive maneuver in the entire course of said contest. Job told. D shoots on the match without actually meaning to shoot on the match. This is ridiculous. When did Disco Inferno turn into Cornette? Double cheese, double onion. I'm going with the match preceding this. Alex Wright and Mongo McMichael. Why was Steve Mongo McMichael ever allowed in a ring? Because he wasn't even that good at commentary. Well, at least they got Mongo and his stupid frickin' chihuahua off commentary by this point. God, that that dog annoyed the crap out of me. If ever there was a reason for the the non-treatment of animals. Alrighty. Um, this match was, this, this this match was bad. (laughs) Um, in fairness, you pretty much just described at least half of the show. Yeah, but (laughs) this, this match was bad. (laughs) And then to top it off, um, (laughs) people can get knocked down by a stiff breeze. Just ask Jack Gallagher and Brian Kendrick, like we talked about at TLC last week. How in the hell did little Nate not notice what the hell was going on two inches behind him? <laughs> and I think he actually turned and looked, too. Yeah, hence, my, hence, hence the line that I had at the very start of the show that popped you of, and apparently Charles Robinson is blind as a bat. 
Yeah, just skip this. Just just skip this portion of the show. Just go yeah. from the cruiserweight title to the U.S. title. Yes, and then after the U.S. title, skip the next match and go to Savage and Diamond Dallas Page. And then once that match is over, just turn it off. Uh, hit the hit the R1 button on your 360 remote to skip to the end of the show and take it out of your continued watching so that way you're not even tempted to go back and rewatch Piper Hogan. Yes. Alrighty. To the positive, I have a hunch we're probably gonna ma- we're going to either match or be damn close. What is the best match of this show? I mean, is there any question? It's widely considered to be one of the greatest WCW matches of all time. Bonko versus Alex Wright. That's my joke, you jackass. Yeah, well, that's for stepping on my audio line. That's for stepping on my air quotes on an audio podcast line earlier. Anyway, uh, no, it has to be Ray and Eddie, doesn't it? Like, not even close. The closest anything comes to the Ray and Eddie match is Savage and Diamond Dallas Page, and that's barely within the same ballpark. For this Thank you one night, weapons. For one night in 1997, Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio Jr. could do no wrong. This is start to finish the best match in WCW history and one of, in my opinion, probably the 10 best matches of all time. And for the record, when we do get around to the written reviews, and we will eventually, this may be the first time I bust out the full Monty. Whoa, 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 whoa. Five stars, Patrick. We don't need to see that. (laughs) So what you're saying is FDM? No, 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 no. I don't need to be seeing anything on you that I don't want to be seeing. I'll go with the five stars. Well, it's not minus five stars. That would be Mongo and Alex. Hey, this... This show could enter the Observer Hall of Fame and Botchamania, both on the same episode. Yeah, pretty much. In back-to-back matches. How many other times have you seen that happen? <laughs> All right, Patrick. Well, was, uh, was the Beverly Brothers versus the Bushwhackers immediately before uh, the Rumble? You know what? You might be right there. Again, Rumble 1992, available in the archive. I'm officially checking this. I think you're correct, but uh, Eddie and Ray, right, Patrick? Damn, it wasn't the tag titles. Split them. Uh, uh, Earthquake and Typhoon against the uh, Legion of Doom? Yeah, so you had natural disasters in that match and then a natural disaster in the match before it. But um, I'll give you credit. Solid joke. So, yeah, it's it's got to be Eddie and Ray here. Though I will give special mention to the Texas Death, Last Man Standing, Sudden Death, Las Vegas, whatever the hell you want to call it, match. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Harry doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Enjoy it while well, it lasts. Well, no. Even beyond that, the Las Vegas Sudden Death match is a really stupid name. Yeah, well, it's a really stupid company at times. <laughs> Fair point. Um, I, pa- I thought I pa- that was a good match, too. But yeah, it's definitely, obviously, 
uh, Eddie and Ray here because they just they hit everything, which is something you don't see. Is they hit everything? God, that psychotic. that moonsault DDT man still to this day one of the prettiest things we may have ever seen in professional wrestling. When Definitely. Ray, when Ray was on and back when his knees were cooperating. There was no one better. I think at this point, he's only two surgeries in. I reiterate, when Ray was on and his knees were cooperating. Yes. Because they would attempt to replicate this spot the following month at uh, World War III 1997, and it would go terribly wrong. Ray would end up missing Eddie by almost, uh, almost a good six inches. Yep. So, uh, alrighty, moving along. What is your cash for this? And don't just say Las Vegas gambling. That's cheating. Mike Tanay. The only one who actually knew what the hell he was talking about? Uh, specifically the fact that Tanay, especially during the course of Eddie and Ray, adds so much to the backstory of that match, too. With everything about the history of Lucha de Apuesta, with everything about the history of Eddie and Ray, talking about how this is Ray's ninth Lucha de Apuesta match where his mask was on the line. Obviously, it won the previous eight. Talking about the history of the mask and what it means to a Mexican wrestler. I mean, technically Ray's from San Diego, but made his name down in Mexico. Bringing up the fact that Rey Mysterio got his name from his uncle, talking about how his original ring name was something along the lines of Hummingbird in English, which caused Heenan to go into laughing fits. I mean... Not to mention here, let's be honest, if Tanay hadn't been there to walk them through Nagata and Ultimo Dragon, how lost would Shivani and, and Bobby Heenan have been for that match? Heenan would have literally just kept calling him Eugene the entire show. Or the entire match. So he was Eugene Nagata? I wonder if he's a distant relative of Eric Bischoff. Eric and Sonny have been known to be pretty close. Dun, dun, dun. Never mind. Which Sonny? Oh, no. Oh, God. Gross. God! You set yourself up. You set yourself up for that one, buddy. Uh, to, to borrow a line I usually use on the kickoff. Ah! Chris Claus scream. Anywho, how about you, Patrick? What's your cash for this show? Um, <sighs> Las Vegas gambling. No. Um, Randy Savage proving that he still has it. Remember, we're talking about a guy that wanted to wrestle so badly in the WWF at the end of his time there. And Vince McMahon said, no, he's too old. And yet here he is two years later. Uh, two and a half. It was the it was 93 into 94 with the feud with Crush. Savage would leave the WWF towards the end of 94, if memory serves. OK. So, but we're talking, so actually we're talking three years later. Yeah. And he goes and has one of the better matches. 
on this show. Second best match. I, I think we could agree there. Um, yes. And yet, Vince always found him to be too old. I, I know it's something that we always talk about, especially when there's a show that features Savage or Hogan or Savage and Hogan. And we always say, oh, you know, Hogan's stealing Savage's spotlight and blah, blah, blah. And while that's a fair point, but there's a reason why people to this day say that, especially me. Savage proves here that he still has it. And he's still pulling off pretty damn good matches. And yet he's still stuck in the shadow of the guy in the steel cage match. Why? Because WCW and creative control. I would go as far to say that Savage at 50% was probably a better worker than Hogan at 100. Unless Hogan was in Japan and Hogan actually gave a damn. Yeah, well, American Hogan really didn't care about his in-ring content because he knew American fans were more centralized towards entertainment rather than the actual wrestling product. Savage, Savage understood that American fans want both. And that, he delivered on both. That you needed to be the cream of the crop, as it were, both in the ring and, in his case, quite literally on the microphone. Yeah, now I'm going to go snap into a Slim Jim. Yeah. Alrighty. Before you're able to do that, what's your trash for this? Uh, no Slim Jims for me. My throat's already acting a little wonky from the pizza rolls. Um, styrofoam weapons. <laughs> really? Uh, that's exactly what I was saying when I, when I watched this show. Really, WCW? Styrofoam. In a death match. Styrofoam. It wasn't a death match. Stop saying it was a death match. It wasn't a death match. It was a sudden death match. Close enough. It was a sudden space death space match. Anyway. My point being that if you're going to have a match where weapons are encouraged, can we at least have the weapons look somewhat believable? Like, I get the fact that we know what concussions do these days, and dudes thwonking each other in the head with chairs nowadays, not so great. So chairs, okay, maybe not so much, but, like, really, we couldn't find something better than a frickin' styrofoam tombstone? Are you sure? I mean, are you really sure? Why couldn't we have the giant inflatable pumpkin? I think that was next year. Uh, because WCW. Patrick, what's I'm your trash? On, I'm stuck on two. Well, pick one. We, we don't have all day. We're coming up on our allotted time. I know, but I'm, I'm seriously stuck on two. One is... I'm not going to go with this one, but one was the constant pushing of Slim Jim's. You know, Slim Jim Halloween Havoc, Slim Jim Posts, Slim Jim Ring Canvas, Slim Jim Everything, Slim Jim Racho Man Randy Savage. Dig it. But mine is the fact that... Look at the undercard. Look at how young it is. You have a double main event, roughly, with all guys over 40. Over 40. 
in some cases, well over 40. I believe Paige at this point was the youngest at 41. I believe Savage was 43. And Piper was 43 as well. And I think Hogan was 44. I could be wrong about that by a year or two. You wonder why WCW went out of business? It's because they never really gave the younger guys a real chance until Goldberg. And even then, did Goldberg really deserve it? So it's the fact that while, yes, one of the match delivers and then some, you know, the the Las Vegas sudden death match was very good. But it's still, you still have your final two matches. The average age is 42. Yeah, Paige has got to be. Huh? I was just about to say, Paige has got to be about mid, uh, mid, mid to late 40s himself at this point. I think he was actually on the younger side of like, I think he was 40 or 41 here. That that's probably because he was like mid forties when he came to the WWF in two thousand and one. So yeah, that makes sense. He's sixty one now, and this is twenty years ago. So forty one. Ah, well, there you have it. So it's like give the younger guys a chance for the love of God. Obviously, we would know later on that no, they never would until two thousand. When Booker T wins, maybe you can call Jeff Jarrett. <clears throat> but Jeff Jarrett wasn't exactly a younger guy either at the time. And here we are 20 years later. I mean, Jarrett by that point had to have been in his mid to late 30s. Pretty much. So I just... Too old. No, and that's always a common complaint when it comes to WCWs. The fact of the matter is is that they never really knew how to manage their talent so that they could have these older roster members being used to help develop these younger roster members. Let's think back to the to 1992, 1993 in WCW, not 92 specifically, like 93 in WCW. I'm going back and I'm rewatching it on the network here. And there are names in WCW right now that would kill people that realize that they had them on their roster and did nothing with them. Then stunning Steve Austin, Cactus Jack, who would go on to become multiple-time WWF heavyweight champion, Mick Foley, Mankind. Um, let's see here. Who else am I thinking of? Uh, Too Cold Scorpio, who would go on to become a multiple-time champion in, in ECW as well. Uh, Ron Simmons, who they real, gave one. Go ahead. Sorry, just real quick. Jarrett was 33 when he won the WCW title. Okay, so that's still on the younger side for WCW standards. But um, look at those guys there. Look at look at the amount of talent there. Look at the amount of young talent there, and especially in the undercard too. And then look at the fact of it's the same people in the main event of every pay-per-view in this time frame. Ric Flair, Vader, Davey Boy Smith, Sting, the stalwarts of WCW. But you can't do anything with those stalwarts if you're not giving new talent a chance. You can't do anything with the st- with the young talent that you have in WCW in 1997. Chris Jericho, Ultimo Dragon, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero. Realistically speaking, any of the men that would become the Radicals. Guerrero, Benoit, Saturn, Malenko. When you have Hogan and Piper combined age 80... Page and Savage combined age pushing eighty, and Luger oh, and Scott Luger and Scott Hall combined age 
pushing 70, I would imagine, ish at this point with the lack of that younger influence into your title pictures and into your main event scene there? Uh, no. Luger and Hall would be... Luger and Hall would be pushing... Or would be pushing 80. Savage and Paige would be over 80. And Piper and Hogan would be pushing 90. My point being here that you have a... I want to say a 23-year-old Chris Jericho at this point. Because I want to say it was mid-70s Jericho was born. So 23, 24, 25, at the, probably 25 at the most. Do me 26. a favor, look up. Yeah, 26. 20, 26. So 1970. Yes. Actually, approaching his birthday. 11 so, days. So yeah, he would have been coming up on his 27th birthday. Guerrero was probably in his mid to late 20s at this point. Mysterio was in his mid to late 20s at this point. You have all these guys on the undercard that could do so much to help sell shows, and so much to bolster storylines, and you're and you're focusing on a combined octogenarian group in Page, in Savage, in Hogan, in Piper. The only homegrown one of the th- of the four being Page. Mysterio was 22. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you got a 26-year-old Jericho, a 22-year-old Ray Ray. Eddie's probably around Jericho's stage, maybe a little bit older. So I would say mm, 30 at the most. It sounds about right because he was 37 when he passed in 19, in 2005. Uh, it was 38, but yes. So 30 at the most for Eddie. 30. Uh, yeah, exactly. You have all these younger talent on the undercard that you're not doing anything with because you're so set in your creative ways with the top of the card. It's like they used to talk about all the time. The WCW undercard would blow the WWF away, but then you'd get to the main events and no one would care. So there we go. Alrighty, before we get out of here, we got one final thing. What is your final score for this pay-per-view? You know what? We were kind of critical towards the show in certain places, and frankly, deservedly so. But it is as I said when we were starting this review, Patrick. Despite the lows being disturbingly low, the highs are incredibly high. We talked about the fact that Guerrero and Mysterio might be the greatest match in WCW history. I dare someone to tell me one that they think is better, and I'll be happy to watch it. You can make those suggestions for us over on our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash wrestling unwrapped. You can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash WU off the shelf. Anywho, back to my, my, back to my score statement. So it is with that theory in mind of the fact that you have these, the super high highs, but the very low lows there that it roller coasters out to a five flat for me. And then it's unfortunate to think that a show with three matches at or above three stars, because there are at least three, at least three three star matches here. And I would say, without the botch at the finish, Jericho and Ghetto probably approaches three stars as well. Four matches with at least three stars there. That the the highest I can go for is a five. 
because of everything else being so just ridiculously god-awful in places. Patrick, where are you at for the show? I'm, I'm actually trying to think of this one. I mean... More deliver than not. You know, we got a nine-match card, and while the intergender match, the Mongo versus Deborah match, the main event, and most of Luger and Scott Hall stink, and that's putting it nicely in some cases, but Nagata and Dragon, Jericho and Gato, botch aside, uh, Ray and Eddie, Flair and Hennig, and Savage and Page, at the very least, deliver, and in two matches cases, probably go above and beyond, although even with Savage and Page, they set a high precedent there. So, so with that being said, I as bad as the lower side of this is... I do think the good outweighs the bad a little bit, so I'm not going to go super high, but I'm going to go a little bit higher than you at five and a half. Or, no, six. I, I will say a six. And I say a six because, if nothing else, watch the two matches we've gushed on. The Cruiserweight Championship match and the Las Vegas Sudden Death match goofiness aside, you know, foam wet, foam tombstones aside, um, you know, but that's about it. And you're lucky that you've got commentary that actually focuses on that. Because once you get to Alex Wright and Deborah, it becomes the Hulk Hogan show. Surprise, surprise. And then you get nothing from Hogan. So at the very least, watch the good part of this and crack open a drink or two and laugh at the bad because the bad is bad. But I'm still going to say it's at least watchable at a six. Patrick. No. I understand we'll be back next Sunday with a brand new show. What's going on? Will we? Yes. I'm moving us on to our, our next show plug. And by brand new show, I think you mean our, can't believe I'm saying this, 50th show. And you know how we are. We love controversy. It's like it's our middle name or something. It creates cash. It creates cash as I understand it. <sighs> I was going to make the damn Bischoff reference. <laughs> do you own the book? No. I I do. I feel you should get it, and then we could review the book for one of these episodes. <laughs> I mean, we could review Brett the Hitman Hart's book, but I think we'd need a month. Nah, no, we can't. I let somebody borrow my copy, and I never got it back. I'm still not happy about that. I didn't mean to bring that up. I'm sorry. 
It's all right. I'll eventually find another paperback copy of it. I just have to look. All right, carry on. Plug, what we're, plug, plug what we're plugging for November 5th. November 5th is very close to yet another 20th anniversary. And this one, at its time, was probably bigger than the anniversary of the first Hell in a Cell like we covered at the beginning of this month. That being said, what better way to celebrate its anniversary than the night that everything changed for the WWF? As we will be reviewing for our 50th episode... Survivor Series 1997 Gang Rules. You know, the one in Montreal. I I understand a certain Canadian screwed himself at this show. I don't remember the specifics. I'm trying to remember. I think Owen screwed Owen or something. I I don't remember. Yeah, well, Owen316 said he broke Steve's neck, so that might have something to do with it. Steve McMichael's in the WWE or in WCW. We could only no. That's too far. I'm, I'm pulling that joke back because that's too far. <laughs> like we haven't gone too far already tonight. Anyway, so yes, that will be our momentous 50th episode as we covered WWF Survivor Series Gang Rules. Obviously, it's more known. For its ending with the Montreal Screwjob, the main event, Shawn Michaels versus Bret the Hitman Hart for the WWF Championship. So, and the best part to look forward to. And the best part of this review, no Hulk Hogan. Brother. I still feel like there would have been something very, something very, very appropriate about us doing this show as, as our 50th. Oh, well, brother. You can't creatively control us. (laughs) Technical difficulties. Legitimate ones. Yes. And not because we didn't want Hogan to be number 50. Sure it wasn't. Anyway, uh, if you haven't heard enough of myself here, you can listen to me every Wednesday night with the kickoff. Myself, Stephen Er III, Brandon Biscobing, and usually more often than not, Eric Watkins bring you... A part in the interruption style debate, discussion, and general breakdown of all things relevant in the worlds of college football and the NFL here on the W2M Network. That is the kickoff Wednesday nights here on W2M Network. In addition, I also do the SmackDown and 205 Live reviews with my co-host, Miss Liz Puglisi. You can check those out every Tuesday night, traditionally starting around, we usually start recording them around 11-ish, so... Pay attention for them overnight Tuesday into Wednesday. Anything else you want to plug, Patrick? Perhaps the fact that you might be going Broadway or something? I mean, I I, I actually was going to not plug that, but since you insisted, you can also hear Kevin Gray and myself talk about the week that was in wrestling, and especially this week, We've got a very special guest in the current Shimmer Champion, Mercedes Martinez, on the show. That would be ongoing Broadway uh, Wednesdays at 8.15. Don't ask. Uh, 8.15 Central on WLGKRadio.com or on the Logic Radio app. 9.15 if you're on the East Coast. 6.15 if you're on the West. I seriously had to think about that. 
Well, that's because it would be 715 in Vegas. Mountain. Oh, okay. Alrighty. So, alrighty. Four. We're out of here. We will see four, you next week. Go ahead. For our executive producer, Sean Garmer, I'm Harry Broadhurst. And I'm Patrick Cutsock. <laughs> we will see you what? next week. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the 49th edition of Wrestling Unwrapped <laughs> as we covered Halloween Havoc 1997 here on the W2M Network. Jesus. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.